Computer, initialize Holosuite. to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 12, Paradise Lost. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That's right, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we're awesome. We're a good time. And you're going to love the things we talk about, especially if you are a Star Trek fan in general, and in particular, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan. Um, now, I will give a brief update about the Twitter situation. Uh, it looks like I'm finally starting to receive some assistance on that, so hopefully that will be cleared up here um, really soon. Um, so stay tuned on that, but at least we're not totally um, out of it for that yet. <laughs> Okay, so oh, man. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I, I have not given up, guys. I've not given up. I promise. So, um, but in the meantime, um, you can also, you know, follow along on my uh, personal account. There's links to that everywhere as well, um, as well as the various stuff that we have on Facebook, as David mentioned. So there's plenty of other ways to find us besides just Twitter. Um, but yeah, just uh, be on the lookout. So um, tonight we are here to talk about. The conclusion to Homefront, um, Paradise Lost. I wanted to say really quick, I love how with Deep Space Nine, they rarely do, like, necessarily a part two, right? Like, it's not Conundrum Part One and Conundrum Part Two. It's Homefront, Paradise Lost, and then it's something else. You know, like, they don't have that, you know sequence there but we know that that's what it is um and that's kind of how they got into their whole serialization and why it works so well for them so um we'll keep a lookout for that in other things as well but before we get started um wanted to talk with david really quick because you had um something pretty momentous happened for you recently right (laughs) it was my birthday hey hey it's your birthday (laughs) right you are even deeper into your 30s now how does it feel Uh, 33 baby woohoo yeah, any <laughs> any deep thoughts or revelations come as you sink ever further into uh, approaching middle age? <laughs> I always make fun of my roommate because he's a little older than I am, and in my church small group, we're the two oldest, so I always tease him as the eldest of the group because I'm right behind him. Um, no immediate insights. I, it was a relatively small birthday this time around. I you know just hung out with family, you know my brother and his wife and the two nieces came to visit my parents who live close by and that was a great time to hang out with them and get some birthday cake and all that mm-hmm. so nothing all that fancy just spending time with friends and family so there's nothing wrong with that and i think that yeah. as we all get a little bit older i think we start to appreciate our friends and family a bit more than what we did when we were you know in our teens and 20s and so forth so um yeah 
Okay, I just wanted to ask you because I mean, I felt weird not remarking on your birthday last time because your birthday was June second, and right. then our episode aired June third, but we had already right. recorded it the week before. So I mean, you just yeah. completely got skipped in our whole uh, rigmarole. It's almost here. like I planned it. Right, right. Hmm. Maybe I didn't realize. Yeah. You know, so I kept thinking yeah. about. It. I was like, man, we had like this whole big window here where I mean it wasn't even just that we weren't you know like talking about it we just weren't doing anything like we had nothing (laughs) right well it's funny because of of birthday stuff like my parents were like do you want anything for your birthday I was like well you know I mean I've been thinking about maybe buying a watch you know nice watch online but you know it's a couple hundred bucks so I just buy that myself and so like okay we'll just give you some money well it turns out in a couple weeks we're all gonna go on a little vacation Again, for my niece's sake, primarily, we I got some tickets through work to SeaWorld. She's five. The other one's two. It's like, hey, we'll go to SeaWorld. And so they, my parents went ahead and rented an Airbnb, but they asked the rest of the family to chip in, you know, because my sister's having to fly in, so she's going to have to pay some to come visit. Can we pitch in to, you know, help with all that? So it turns out my birthday present from my folks was I didn't have to pay them as much to chip in for the vacation. <laughs> I still gave them three hundred dollars as opposed to four hundred, uh, which was just you know hilarious. You know, it's like, happy birthday! You still owe us some money. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how it works. Happy I mean, that birthday, was my but, pitch, right? Yeah, that was my pitch to them. So I mean, it's not like they said that to me. That was my pitch to them. But um, it's just, I think it's just funny it, when you get to this part of life. You know, money changes hands birthdays come and go right you know and like you said you know it becomes a a time when if there's something that you want you know you just buy it for yourself and i'm so mad about that too i just if i see something i want click you know i don't my wish list for like christmas is always a problem because i'm like i have to think of things like oh my goodness if i want people to get me something i have to think of what to say to get so (sighs) anyway no i'm right there with you i i just i either talk myself out of it or or whatever it is that I get there's a overly drawn out justification for it because I'm so bad at gifting things to myself and you know seriously I have those moments where I have to be like no you deserve it you you do so much and you you handle so much and it's okay splurge just one time and then even then I'm like "Mm, nah nah there's something else I can do speaking of which remind me did you say on stream did you say on stream last time that Go ahead, go ahead. So, no, I didn't say. I think I know what you're going to talk about. But yeah. for those of you who were who have followed along with us, you may remember a long time ago, I had subscribed to the Eagle Moss Build the Enterprise uh, kit thing. You know, right. they send you sections of it in the mail. You put it together. And it's like every month you get, like, another kit that adds on to it. And it's this ginormous model of the Enterprise that you were building. Right. Well, for those of you who may um, either remember from us talking about it here or from your own experience with Eagle Moss, you know that company went belly up several months ago, and that whole process stopped. You couldn't order models, and you certainly couldn't order your Build the Enterprise kit. Well, about two weeks ago, I think it was, I got an email from a new company called, I I think I said before it was called Fanbase, but it's actually called Fan Home. 
They have taken over all of the Eagle Moss stuff. So if you want to um, order model ships, if you want to do any kind of figurines, action figures, anything like that, they've kind of consolidated the base for all of that. So uh, they have now picked up the slack on that, and they just sent me an email saying that they are going to be resuming the yes. Build the Enterprise kit and... If you were doing it previously when you when it got canceled, they will allow you to pick up where you left off. You don't have to nice. go back to the beginning, which is great right. because what would you do with all those pieces, right? <laughs> so um, they sent me my official invitation to invite me back into the uh, process. And I have to admit, I as excited as I am, I have not um, I have not signed back up for it yet. Uh, I, because again, like I said, I just was like in my head about it, and I know it's silly, and I know I should just do it, especially since I've already started it. I should get the rest of it and finish it. I'll be mad at myself years from now that I will have this box of of metal components that I did right. nothing with, so I might as well right. do it. I think I'm right now using you guys to talk myself into doing it. By the way, yes, there you um, go, there you go. But yeah, yep. so. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and again, it's going to be a pretty impressive model. They sent when when Eagle Moss was doing it, they sent this um, poster that's like a live, or not live, but it's a um, large, uh, accurate, a yeah, representation right, of the model, and it's huge. It's absolutely right. monstrous, and it's made from diecast metal. So not only is it going to be big, it's going to be heavy, and I, I was even thinking about it earlier, um, you know, earlier on months ago. I have no idea where I'm going to put it. It's it's going to be pretty massive. So I was like, I might try to like turn it into like a coffee table, put like a structure around it, so that ah, it's like on display but protected. It's still you know? protected. That's yeah, pretty so cool. I'm, I'm thinking that's what I'm going to do with it. But yeah, um, other than that, I was like, I kind. right. I, I've I've thought I thought about like maybe trying to figure out a way to like hang it, but at the same time, right. it's going to be so heavy. Um, I just don't think that's feasible. Like I can just I remember holding some of the pieces like when my uh when the kit came through that was the nacelles um for the for this you know the star drive, the engines. Uh, right. they were so heavy. They were surprisingly heavy. And I was like, imagine this and then the whole saucer section. It it would be too heavy to hang and be safe, I feel. Like I would be worried that it would fall to the ground at any moment. So right. Um, I'm thinking having it on a stand and then putting like a, a glass encasement around it and making like a glorified coffee table would be the better and safer bet for it. Right. But um, yeah, I'm most likely going to resume maybe starting next month. I think I'll sign back up and just, you know, go with it. Um, if anyone is interested and you want to have your own kit or you want to um, build other things, so they, they said they're going to have other models for other things, not just Star Trek. They've got like uh, one for, I think, the Batmobile was one that I saw on their website. And then they had several nice. others. The Normandy from Mass Effect was on there as well. Ooh. And then, of course, there's just models of ships that you can just buy from them that they have modeled from whatever, um, from various series. That's really cool. Yeah, so if you're interested in those at all, just go to www.fanhome.com, and they will have all their stuff for you there. Um, and no, this is not a paid promotion in any way. I don't know why I feel like I need to say that, but um, yeah, they just, they're doing it now. Eagle Moss is not, as far as I understand it, Eagle Moss is like never going to return. So, there. Yeah, I'm curious if it, like they were just bought out by Fan Home, or, or if they just 
bought the rights to sell stuff again. Or well, Ego Moss crashed long before Fan Home came on the set. I came on the scene. I think that um, that this is kind of their way of trying to recoup some of the losses because there, there was a lot of outrage. I know. Right. behind Eagle Moss falling through because a lot of people had signed up for the monthly subscription through Eagle Moss where they were sending you ships. They would send you whole models of ships, you know? Right. And um, and so if you had signed up, most people signed up like for a year of that, a year subscription, and they were, you know, three, four, five months in, and then all of a sudden the company was gone, but they'd already paid that money. So right. this is their way of trying to, I guess, honor that without having to do a large number of... Um, refunds and, and so forth i think gotcha so okay um one last thing before we turn our attention to the show um as we know father's day is coming up and uh, i saw something and this was a one of the few moments where i didn't have to you know pound my brain do it you deserve it right <laughs> something came up online and i saw it and i knew that i had to have it and um, with the help of my daughter, <laughs> with the help of my daughter, we were able to pick a design and make it so, as uh, Jean-Luc would say. And I just wanted to show it off real quick. It's my new <laughs> mug that says best, best dad. dad in the universe. So yeah. it's in print, guys. I'm sorry. It's in print. You got to <laughs> gotta believe it. But the best part, and this is the part that my daughter helped me design, is the other sign where you see... Oh, us in our great. uniforms, and it's got our names on it. My name and my that's daughter's name. Fantastic. Complete with her signature hairstyle, which she was right. just through the moon about. So it's like this is us. <laughs> this is that's definitely our you too. yes. So we were quite excited about this, and I believe you can still um, get these as well. There was a, a, a link that was flying around on various Star Trek sites where you could uh, get this mug. It's basically a Yeti mug with this design on the outside. So That's great. Um, and you can get them in a bunch of different ones. Like, I obviously went with uh, this particular style, which David doesn't know anything about yet, but it is the, the Deep Space Nine styling of uniform that we're going to okay. see later. And then, But you can get them in any of them. You can, they had the original series. They've got Discovery. They've got um next generation of course voyager they're all there so you can just pick whichever one you like and uh make it happen so for the best dad in your universe i would strongly suggest <laughs> if they're a star trek fan getting them their nice. own mug great but we are not here to talk about any of that not really um <laughs> we are here to talk about uh paradise lost the 12th episode of the fourth season, our 90th episode coming in, you know, coming up on the bit, the big 100 here real soon. Um, but yeah, David, would you like to give our recap? I can do it this time, I guess. All right, guys. So again, this is a sequel or a part two to home front, which we did last time. Uh, we might remember that in home front, we, uh, Odo had joined Jake and Cisco, uh, back on Earth because Earth had experienced a terrorist event where it believes uh, we believe a changeling was responsible for killing about 27 diplomats. So being brought to Earth, uh, Cisco is put in charge of Earth defenses by his former commanding officer, um, Layton, uh, Admiral Layton. Uh, at the end of the episode, um, Layton and Cisco went to the president of the Federation and said, look, um, things, uh, the power relays on earth have been sabotaged. We need to have martial law 
in order to protect Earth against a changeling threat. So that's where things were left off last time uh, with the uh, military basically uh, coming down and uh, patrolling Earth. So now that they've been uh, in control of Earth for the last several days, things haven't really happened. Nothing else has happened. There have been no terrorist threats. There's been no military you know, uh, invasion. Nothing's really been happening, uh, which is strange. You know, why, why all this him and hawing if, um, if, if there, if, if the power relays were down, why wasn't there an invasion? Uh, Cisco is suspicious along with Odo. And so after Cisco is confronted by a changeling, uh, presenting himself as Miles O'Brien and insinuating that there are only four changelings on earth, uh, and then, you know, how, look how much trouble we've caused with just four changelings. We can get more done. Um, you know, this is, you know, a piece of cake for us is what he basically says. Um, the, you know, Cisco is like, okay, what's going on? And so he, uh, gets Nog, Cadet Nog, to tell him more about the secretive group of cadets known as, uh, Red, what was it, Red Group? Red Team? Red Squad. Um, there we go, Red Squad. Um, apparently it's an elite group, but they're also secretive and selective and, you know, Cisco has been suspicious about them and he learns that Admiral Layton used them during the first hours of the blackout in a secret mission. And he basically forces one of the, uh, red squad cadets to admit to what they did. He, he gets one of the cadets in there. And he says, I know what you did, but I want you to tell me what you did. You know, one of those uh, reverse psychology moments. And he learns that uh, Admiral Layton used these children, these cadets, to actually perform the uh, shutdown of Earth's power grid. It was not the changelings, or at the very least, it wasn't uh, uh, the changelings. Uh, or Admiral Layton was the one who was actually doing it. If, if he's a changeling, we don't know, but point is is that it wasn't um an outside group that did it as far as we can tell it was within the federation that this was done and it becomes clear that admiral layton the man we know is the same man it's not a changeling impersonating him like what happened in the last episode admiral layton has been for some time planning a military coup d'etat he believes the changeling threat is so significant that the Federation president, uh, Juresh, Juresh Inyo, is not up to the task. He is, and so he will uh, take control of Earth uh, if that means he has to basically institute a military dictatorship. He will do so until the changing threat is uh, done away with, until they're successful. Of course, Cisco can't stand for that. And so he uh, goes to Jara Shinyo and says, I uh, believe that there's a coup being taking, taking place. Jarrett, Jarish Inyo is of course incensed by the idea that there would be a military coup. How dare you make such a, th make such a claim. I need evidence. And so Cisco says he'll get it. Unfortunately, uh, Jer uh, Admiral Layton, it uses some of his, uh, other officers to fake evidence that Cisco is a changeling when they do a blood test on him, which is never explained. Unfortunately, no, it's um, not. Yeah. Uh, and so he is imprisoned. Um, but before all that happens, he uh, Cisco did co contact Major Kira uh, on 
uh, Deep Space Nine, and she, along with the rest of the officers, uh, confirmed that there was a Starfleet officer on Deep Space Nine who had manipulated the wormhole to look like it was doing um, activity that it shouldn't be doing to in, to suggest that a cloaked Dominion fleet was uh, coming through the wormhole. So they have arrested him, and they are bringing him on the Defiant to Earth to, to present evidence that Admiral Layton is trying to commit a coup d'etat. Um, Admiral Layton learns of this, so he sends uh, one of his ships, the Lakota, which we heard about last episode, uh, to go confront the Defiant and, if necessary, fire on it and stop it from arriving on Earth to undermine his plans. So the Defiant is fired upon by the Lakota, but um, the, the, the Lakota had its weapons upgraded, but the Defiant had better shielding than they expected. So the Defiant is able to survive the, uh, the battle, and even though the Lakota's commander is, uh, is told by Admiral Layton to uh, destroy the ship if necessary, uh, she ultimately stands down, and Lakota allows the Defiant to continue on. Sisko, with the help of Odo, escapes from his jail cell, confronts Layton with a phaser, and basically talks Layton down from his position of trying to commit a coup d'etat, which, by the way, looked like he was either willing to assassinate the president or, at the very least, forcibly remove him from power uh, within a few days. And so Layton resigns, saying, I hope you are uh, not wrong about this and that um, things don't go badly. I know that was kind of a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, basically, coup d'etat was attempted by the Federation officer Admiral Layton. Cisco realizes it and helps bring it to a stop. Meanwhile, the changeling threat is kind of it's it's there, but it kind of takes a back seat in this episode, actually, which uh, I will have thoughts on as we talk. So, yeah, anything you would like to add, Perry, to that recap? Nope, pretty accurate. Um, I will just say that if you want any more detail, then go watch the episode. In fact, why haven't you already watched the episode? You should watch it before you come to our show. You know what's coming. We're doing them in order. So go watch it. The show's like 30 years old. So I'm not even going to give you a spoilers warning. <laughs> um, if you're if you're this far into our show, 90 episodes in, I think you, you know that by now. <laughs> yeah, I think that you would know that we're going to spoil everything. That's what we do. Exactly, exactly. But no, pretty good recap. So you uh, you hit the high points, and we're going to go over the rest of it here. Um, I wanted to just start with the ending of Homefront, then the beginning here of Paradise Lost. Um, in watching it, you know, and watching the end of Homefront in particular, I remember thinking, so I had so many questions, right? Like, you know, how did the changelings infiltrate the power network? And, you know, we talked about some of these in our last episode. You know, I got kept asking about Space Dock and how they, you know, knocked out all the relays and all this stuff, right? Right. So then, of course, we come into this episode. And what do we see? Like, right off the bat, Cisco asking the same questions. How did they sabotage the entire power grid and the backups? How did they, you know, like... All the stuff that they were supposedly able to do, the changings were supposedly able to do, but then they did what afterwards? As Odo pointed right. out, Earth was now secure. In fact, it was more secure than it had right. ever been before, and there was right. no additional attack. So, like Cisco says, the more you think about it, the more you realize things just don't make sense. If the changings right. were truly trying to 
um, invade and disturb the peace and all that, then um, the they, they had ample opportunity. Yeah. Right. And now it's yeah. over with. And, you know, the, and it also kind of, you know, makes me wonder what exactly were the changelings doing on Earth? Because we know they're there. We see one meet with Cisco later on. We saw in the video that of the explosion that brought Cisco to Earth in the first place that they were on Earth. Uh, we know they're there. So it's like, what's the speculation as to what they're doing? I figured that what they were really doing was more along the lines of intelligence gathering. They're not ready right. to actually strike yet, but they right. need to understand how the Federation works in particular, how Starfleet works, and what better place to do that than the heart of Starfleet, Earth. So they wouldn't necessarily want to mess things up and draw attention to themselves. Now, they're just here to study. Layton right. is the one who is doing things that's making it difficult. It, even to a degree, it's making things difficult for the changelings because, again, now they're doing phaser sweeps and blood screenings and they've locked down all this stuff. So so they wouldn't have done the things that would have triggered the alarm because that would have defeated their purpose of infiltration and, and study. Right. But I just like that, you know, Cisco had the same questions I did when the episode first started, like right off the bat, you know. And once again, we see Odo is on the case. He's asking about Red Squad. Why were they sent away and then being back and then, you know, mobilized back and forth? You know, Odo and Cisco work so well together. And we've remarked on this before in this in this show. And it's some one of the pairings that we see sparingly. Yeah. You know, the two of them together, which doesn't make any sense to me because they complement each other so well. Yeah. Yeah, Cisco understands Odo, and that makes Odo more effective because he's given a superior officer who knows how to let Odo loose. And, like, the climax of this episode is that Cisco is confronting Leighton while Odo is going to President Jurish in- Inyo. Um, and we don't see Odo talking to him, but we know that that is the reason that Leighton basically stands down. He's like, you know, my, my cover is blown. I can't get away with my coup d'etat anymore. Um, and so that that's what co- convinces him to give up his, his plans. Um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's Cisco and Odo together are, are a powerful pair. Yeah. I also love that... Um... Cisco obviously had this planned out with Odo to go and talk to President um, Enyo, you know, about what was going on. Uh, meanwhile, he's basically being arrested and, and walked away. Basically, he's buying time for Odo to kind of go back behind him and do all these things. Because when Leighton confronts um, Cisco in Jarish Enyo's office and, you know, manufactures the, the um, changeling evidence. Right. No one asked, where's Odo? Like, no one. They yeah. just arrested Cisco and kept it moving. I, <laughs> That's a good to, point. <laughs> to me, that was like a glaring error. It was like, okay, yeah. you can't arrest him and not stop the security officer he came with. Right. Why? Why not? And especially yeah. considering Odo is a changeling. He is the face of the threat. Having him arrested and further disgracing Cisco. oh, he's worked with changelings, he's been you know, mind altered or replaced, it would have made Leighton's case even stronger. And yet they yeah. just, nothing, nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, Odo's just around here. I don't know. I guess he was a seagull again. Or we know he turned into a serving tray at some point. They're beat up some <laughs> cadets. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's just like no one... And and that that also was another thing that was a glaring error to me. Because, like, okay, so you've implemented blood screenings, phaser sweeps, and so forth. Yet, somehow, Oda was able to become a serving tray and get all the way into your secure facility where you're holding Cisco. No one yeah. thought to phaser the yeah. tray or the chair. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> like, so many, like, well, just, everybody just laughs. To be very no clear... They address that. Odo says, I was able to get in here because I helped you define the the regulations for security. So he knew what the security measures were going to be and therefore knew how to, to avoid them. But it is still a good question of like, seriously? Like, even then, you were still able to dodge and weave around all the... Right. You, you <laughs> at, at some point, though, they still... It's, something should have been submitted for scan. Exactly. You know, there should have been a phaser. <laughs> like, don't you have, I, I would just assume there's a room somewhere where you store your trays. They're not just left out in the hallway, right? So yeah. when you're going to get one, why wouldn't you just open the door, give it a quick phaser sweep, and then yeah. grab what you need and, and move on? Right. Did no one do this? Yeah. Everybody, everybody's armed. Everybody's walking yeah. around with phasers right now. How hard would I have been just to be like, ah, you know what, real quick, change the setting. <laughs> All right, we're good. Let's yeah. Let's go. Um, I guess it's just, you know, going to show again because no one, the people in power knew the threat wasn't real, or at least not to the extent that was being reported to everyone else, because they were the ones manipulating everything. They were the ones who were pulling the strings to make other people think the threat was That is true to some level, but in the last episode, we found out there was a changeling impersonating impersonating Leighton. Mm-hmm. So they were able to infiltrate to a high level. The real question is, I mean, to go back to the point, how were they able to fake the test that Cisco was a changeling? Because the one time we've seen that exact same test faked was at the end of season three when there was a changeling impersonating Dr. Bashir. He did the right. exact same thing. So, I mean, as far as I know, the woman whose name I don't remember, but she was the captain of the... Benteen. Captain Benteen. And she became the captain of the Lakota, and she was also the same actress who played that one character scientist from Mm -hmm. TNG. But anyway, um, which I recognized now that you mentioned it. I was like, oh, that is her. I looked close. At one point, the camera was like right up on her face. I was like, oh, I recognize her. Yeah, yeah. She got more screen time in the second part than she did in the first. In the first part. And I I have to say, I liked her part better in TNG because she had more to do. She was more of a personality. In this one, she's just Leighton's second-hand man, basically. She doesn't really get to do much of her own character. She's not her own character very much. Anyway, when she fakes it, I was like, she's a changeling. Like, they might all be changelings for all I know. Like, that's the coup d'etat. Like, that's how effective they are. Everyone and the president is gonna he's gonna be forced to say, take Cisco away, and then that'll be the end of it. And that'll be the end of Earth. Um, but then Cisco's later like, you'll have to tell me how you faked it. And I was like, faked it? Like, we already knew Leighton might be a changeling. What? What's not to say that that changeling came back and that the real Leighton really has been knocked off? And, right. Um, even if he was present, preparing a coup d'etat, the changelings realized it was a brilliant time to make their move. And instead of 
you know, bringing about the Dominion fleet. Right. You know, just take over his planet. That's which, how they've always done it. You know, which the, would have been in perfect keeping with what we know of the changings that they've done before. Exactly. Remember when they took yes. out the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order? They right. became aware of the plan. They just changed the plan slightly to benefit them. Exactly. Same thing could have happened here. They become That's aware of Leighton's plan to do right. a coup d'etat and just subvert the plan to work in their own favor. Yeah, exactly. The, the way the changes have always worked is they create distrust, they create a paranoia, and then when the paranoia drives someone to act violently, they circumvent that for their own ends and that's how they take over a planet that's okay. what i was expecting to be at the end of this the episode here on some level and so i have to say i am disappointed that the changeling threat seemed to take a back seat in this episode where it was the main feature of the previous one i uh, not that know, it, I, go ahead sorry go ahead. No, go ahead. well i just want to say that it's not the idea that this episode is trying to make is that you know, the worst, you know, sometimes the worst enemy is the person standing right next to you, is the person who decides to take drastic action, a radical drastic action, and undermines the very thing they're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, trying to protect the Federation, as or, or Paradise, as uh, Cisco puts it, by destroying it, um, is ridiculous. You know, the whole reason you have the Federation and you have Starfleet is to protect the law and order that it represents and to undermine that law and order is to undermine everything it represents and everything it, it stands for. And therefore you're undoing everything you're trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. And so I like that angle. I get it, but I feel like this episode, let me put it this way. Let I, you wish, down. I, I, well, I just want, I wanted the changeling twist to come. I want yeah, the changeling. That's to be, like, that's what I was going to. That's what I was going to say. the The problem with this episode is that they used the changelings at all. Using right. the fear of the changelings would have been one thing, but the fact right. that we know, yes, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that we know that changelings are on Earth and are doing things, right. It, it splits the story because even yes. after we resolve the issue with Leighton, we still have changelings among us. We still have right. changelings on Earth who are doing things. We, you know, if you want to believe the O'Brien changeling when they show up, that there's four right. changelings somewhere on Earth. Right. We need a whole episode dedicated to rooting out these four changelings and figuring exactly. out what the heck they're doing. Yes. And we don't get it. And we need nope. explanations for other things. Right. Why were they at that meeting that they uh, that eventually blew up and then, you know, kind of kamikaze themselves Or was there? that faked? Do we need or to was know? That, right. Or was that faked? Um, how did they fake that blood test? Who right. was that changeling that impersonated um, Leighton? You know, there's right. there's so many unanswered questions from the first part of this episode that right. it does distract from this whole notion of the the fear mongering and the kind of a, uh, a an odd 24th century red scare thing that they were doing here. With right. you know, you don't really know who's who's what, and this right. fear and the need to concentrate power. And, you know, in order to protect the the golden era that you think that you're you know, that you're living in and this right. need to protect it. And then you going overboard the way Leighton did and and stripping back freedoms and so forth, all under the guise of protection. I mean, right. a great story, but it's overshadowed by the fact that you introduced and used a very real threat. Right. And I, I would say that that also ties in a little bit to my complaint of I don't feel like this was enough of a Star Trek episode in the sense of where does the sci-fi Star Trek elements 
come into play where they couldn't have played on some other show. It, any other show could have. I mean, I'm Battlestar Galactica had similar questions of you know, does the Pegasus commander, um, her name I can't remember. I mean, she is Admiral she, Helena Kane. There Sorry. you go. When Couldn't she strips, <laughs> when she's when we find out that it turns out that her Pegasus, Battlestar Pegasus, had been protecting a fleet just like Battlestar Galactica, but at some point she decided to cannibalize all the other ships for parts and people and then abandon it. That is an example again of you undermine everything you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to protect civilization and protect people when you only are out for yourself, yada yada yada. So my point is, is that I don't. I feel like this story that we were told in this episode. Yes, it has Star Trek elements. It's the Federation. We have the changelings as the threat, but the story itself is something that could be told elsewhere in a different setting. Yeah. It, well, it, I think that's sense. always been the. I think that's always been kind of uh, an aim of Star Trek to take stories that could be told in a more conventional setting and bring them into sci-fi and to kind of give this. Um, interpretation that will allow kind of a more moralistic stance, you know. Well, Star Trek has cool. done that several times, and I think that um, this is this is another attempt that it, again it would have worked, but the the changing element to it added too much that it distracted from the message they were trying to deliver with this right. episode. Yeah. And I, I feel like actually the episode itself actually addresses this very concern in a different way. In the last episode, uh, Cisco Senior, you know, the grandfather Joseph. here, mm -hmm. Joseph, he was upset by the idea of having blood tests taken, and that created a whole scene. You know, he is objecting mm -hmm. loudly, and Cisco is is pleading with him, "Please take the test. I need you to take the test." And then. Oh, or I, I was worried you might be a changeling because you were refusing. And then in this episode, he's getting his blood tested, and he's fine. And Cisco says, hey, like, what's what changed? And his father is like, look, you give me grief either way. Either I don't do it, and you give me grief. I do it now, and you give me grief. And mm -hmm. Cisco actually does do something I like. I like that he stands down and says, "That's okay, you're right. I'm overreacting. Now that you're doing it, I should just be thankful. I'm just worried. And he moves on. And I'm, I'm glad for the character reaction that way. But it does address the problem. Whereas Cisco Sr., Joseph, is suddenly different in this episode. He's changed. He's willing to go along with it. The context of the threat also changes. And I feel it's too abrupt. Because as we just said, the yeah. changeling threat is in the background where it was, prim it was primary in the previous episode. Yeah. Because at this point, they were trying to make a point about how people are willing to overlook certain infringements upon their freedoms and autonomy when there is a threat of danger or harm. And right. then they were talking and trying to branch that into how we can allow this to corrupt our leaders and officials and people who. Uh, and people who've always kind of hungered for power, how they come out in these moments and they bring out the worst in us in these moments. Because right. that's what Leighton is. Leighton is a person who, you know, on paper, he's a he's a great person. He's a great officer. He's only ever wanted to, you know, protect 
the fleet, protect Starfleet, protect Earth. And that sounds very well and good and noble, but his methodologies for doing it, you know, he's gone from the principles that Starfleet was founded on, that, you know, Ben swore to uphold, to now he is doing these much more, you know, underhanded and nefarious things to achieve this end. And even Odo pointed out, he's like, you know, you swore to uphold these, you know, tenets of the Federation. And so it's not you, Cisco, turning your back on them. They've already turned their back on you. Because if you believe these things, if these are the core values that you have, if you don't stand up to these people who have now subverted all of that, then you then you are the traitor, not them, is, is the kind of the point that Odo makes. And that's what we kind of see here with, with Joseph, because he made such a very strong case for why he would not submit to the blood screenings you know you going around having to prove who you are at the drop of a dime and and all this stuff that was his objection you know and um then for him to just turn around and not only is he cooperating but he's smiling he's in a good mood he's happy for the blood screenings you know he comes in smiling and rubbing his yeah. arm and and all that stuff and and yeah that's what kind of you know does alert uh ben here because he's like you know you you were so against it, and now you're not. And yeah, and you're right. Joseph points out to him, "Hey, you were upset when I didn't do it. Now you're upset that I'm doing it. Like, what's the deal?" And it's you know kind of uncovering that whole. The true objection was not that he was um, submitting to the blood screenings. It was w- what it took to get him to submit to the drugs, the blood screenings, which was right. the problem. Right. And that again points us right back to Layton. And again, that's a great uh, bit that they could have used throughout the episode, but it's constantly overshadowed when we know that there are changelings running around probably yeah. doing things. Right. So, you know, and then Leighton loses. He, he loses, and I feel like he um, surrenders, not just because they prove their case against him to uh, President Enyo, but more because Benteen stood down. She was attacking yes. the Defiant, yes. and then she decided, for whatever reason, because we don't even get to see that, really. They just, we know that the Defiant and the Lakota are fighting, and then the next thing that we see is Worf saying, it's over, we're here. Right. You know, right. that we don't get to hear the conversation between Benteen and Worf, or anybody that would have given her a reason to suddenly switch sides. Right, you know, because because right. in everything that we've seen her so far, like you said, she was Layton's right hand. She believed everything. She went along with everything. For her to suddenly, in this moment, switch gears, I feel like we deserve to see that conversation, and we didn't. So yeah. a lot of little bits here and there, which I hate to say it, I think this is the first time that for Deep Space Nine um, that we've seen anyway that a two-parter episode fails. Because a lot of times we've said we wish this episode was a two-parter because we needed right. more. In this right. case, we almost need this one to be a three or even four-parter yeah. because there were so <laughs> many things that just didn't get wrapped up. And to be and to be very clear, actually, a three-parter would have been great if this had been the middle part. You know, it, it's it's the it's the you know um the the oh, what's the second um. Second Star Wars, or, yeah, Star Wars movie, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. That's it. Yes. The Empire Strikes Back is considered by a lot of fans of the Star Wars movies 
to be like the best one. You know, it's the one where Luke is revealed to be Darth Vader's son. Mm-hmm. You have it's it's the whole idea is where the 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 de- the Darth Vader's march, uh, the Imperial March finally came in. That's when John Williams introduced that. Bum, bum, Great stuff. Anyway, point is, is that the middle part of a story is where it gets dark. It gets deep. You know, it's it's where the conflicts are really coming to bear. How are we going to solve the problem? If this had been a three-parter, this actually would have been a fine middle part. Yes. Yeah, we are losing our ability to see clearly in the midst of a serious issue. But then part three comes out, and the real threat is revealed, and we have to get together and maybe Leighton is redeemed in some capacity, but unfortunately, we have a two-parter. And actually, this reminds me, wasn't it the opening of season two that had a three-parter? That was the three-part episode, right? We It was a three-parter because season one ended with the cliffhanger, and then the first two episodes of season two... Um, wrapped it all up so that was their kind of cheat to get us a three-parter because we right. had what ended the first season and then what brought you into the second season was kind of you know the ending of all of that stuff and well, so yeah but they yeah, didn't but again they didn't title they didn't title it like part one part two part three it was just you know well, I'm these looking at it right continuations now. episode one of season two was homecoming the homecoming and then it was the circle and then it was the siege um, so yes. it was a, a three-part episode at the beginning of season two, but it did follow upon the fi- finale of season one, where Vedic so, Lynn was introduced. Uh, so it is. In so part, essentially, it's a four-parter episode because it ended with yeah. what was in season one, and then yeah, and and I don't know why they didn't, considering how great that section of episodes is. It's amazing to me that they did not go back to that format more. Now, I know that this episode, or these two episodes, Homefront Paradise Lives, were originally slated to be the opener for season four, but that was scrapped oh. because they were trying to, you know, they had decided to do Way of the Warrior to bring Worf in and needed to incorporate him into the storyline because of, you know, later later plans. So there was a need to do that sooner rather than later. And then they also didn't want to do another weird cliffhanger on the uh, end of a season um, but all that's neither here nor there because it, it doesn't really detract from the story at all. I I like these two episodes because it's beginning to get us to pivot a bit into the greater complexity of Deep Space Nine and the Dominion and things that are to come. We were kind of getting to see more of that, and there's just there's a lot that's getting ready to happen throughout the rest of season four that all of these things relate back to, and this is why I love this show so much, because you don't really realize it unless, one, someone's pointing it out to you, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> and, and then, two, they do enough callbacks later on in episodes that you'll be like, oh, you know, yeah, that was that was Homefront. And even in this episode, there's a bit of a callback, because, you know, the whole thing about the notion of paradise and Earth being paradise, this has been touched upon before in Deep Space Nine um, when when he was still Commander Sisko, and his friend, um, Captain or Commander, um, the guy who was in, with the Maquis, who was actually a yeah. secret Maquis uh, uh, officer. I know or whatever. who you're talking about. I can't remember his name either. I can't yeah. remember. Or, um, I, can't, I don't know why I can't remember his name right now. It's going to make me upset. But anyway, um, you know, 
they were arguing about the validity of the Federation trying to police the people in the demilitarized zone. And um, Ben gives a speech about paradise and the perception of paradise and why what works on Earth doesn't work out here in, you know, the frontier because, you know, it's different. Hudson, yes. And, um, you know, he says it's easy to be a saint in paradise. And this is kind of that bringing that back here to this episode because earth is seen as so idyllic, you know, and then um, to have these attacks on, on the home soil really, you know, ruins that. And then you have a person like Leighton who's kind of grown up in this. And um, a lot of his actions are incredibly xenophobic. You know, he even, (laughs) he dismisses Jarrah Shenyo. He's like, he's, you know, great president and all, but he's not from here. He's not one of us. What does he know? You know, that's, that's his whole attitude, you know, and his, and everything he does is to, um, protect humans from outsiders from the the ultimate outsider, which is the shapeshifter, the changeling, you know? So yeah, it's a very interesting way to set that up. And again, a lot of great stuff here that could have been touched on later on, but once again, overshadowed by the fact that there are changelings among us and we need to figure out who they are. And uh, to segue further on that, I just want to ask you, what did you think of uh, O'Brien the changeling? (laughs) Oh, it's always, um, well, I I like the the Odo, I'm sorry, the O'Brien changeling in his, um, his, 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 he's trying to get a reaction out of Cisco. He's jabbing him. O'Brien is not that type, so you see Cole Meany playing a sarcastic, you know, irritating person is kind of funny because it's like that's not who O'Brien is. He uh, was very irritating. Like everything yeah. about him, he 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 sounded way too happy. Yeah, you way too jovial. Yeah, stupid, and we're so much more intelligent. We like shape shifting, and you know, I I can switch somewhere easily. Party wishes Cisco had done something like grab him. And like hold on to him, and like I'm not gonna let you go. But of course, it wouldn't have worked. You know, Cisco knows that it wouldn't have worked. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. Are, are you saying that there's gonna be more of it? Is that why you're asking? No, I'm just asking what you what you thought <laughs> in general. I'm not saying one way or another there's gonna be more O'Brien the yeah, Changeling. Yeah. Just what you think? <laughs> O'Brien the Changeling. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, but, I, I, mean, I that... found him. I found him annoying. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's also because. We know O'Brien. We know what he's about, you know, right. and to have this weirdly childish thing, this representation, right. it was it was bothersome. But I did like one thing that he said, and he said, you don't fear us the way or we don't fear you the way you fear us. Right. Which I think is a very interesting take on the on the whole changeling, you know culture and mindset you know yeah they're from the stories that we've heard about them it's always been this fear of persecution from the solids right they they call us solids and that our persecution of them stemmed from this fear and intense jealousy because they were so different and because they could be anything and uh so so their fear of us is basically they're just trying to exist as they are and right. it's our fear which drives them to protect themselves. Right. Whereas our fear is 
they can be anything. They can do anything. They can right. be anywhere. Right. You know, um, I think the fear stems from that loss of privacy, I guess. Because if you can be anything and you can be anywhere and you can be anyone, then the thought of trying to form a connection with somebody, you know, falls. It, it fails completely because right. that person could not be who you think they are. Right. So I... I I was trying to figure out what that fear was because like, he says it, you know, you don't fear, we don't fear you the way you fear us. So it's like, how do we fear the changelings? What is it? What would be that fear? Yeah. And that's what I, that's the only thing I come up with is that I think it's a, a loss, a potential loss of privacy. Yeah. I also would say if I had a changeling in front of me, it's like, you can do all these things that make us afraid that you might do things that were, like you might hurt us and we're not prepared to protect ourselves. And then you are doing the very things we're afraid of. You are deceiving us and, and harming us with your deception. That's why we fear you. Right. Odo, we're not afraid of Odo because Odo doesn't use his abilities to hurt people. Um, we know who Odo is. We trust him. He is a changeling in every other way. Um, he can mimic all kinds of things, but he's never done anything out of selfish reasons. And that's why we fear the changelings is because they have proven themselves willing to use their abilities in harmful ways to others. And yes, yeah. there's always the point of like, well, a changeling could have always been accused of something. And therefore it's it maybe the changeling argument is like we're just preemptively defending ourselves and we're doing it in the way we know that works. OK, it's, it's an argument to make. But it's not a lasting solution. It's not going to yeah. create – you're only going to ever have animosity with everyone else. Um, there's no yeah. peaceful solution with your route. So I actually – it really is a curious question. Like how are we going to resolve the Dominion issue, the Changeling issue? Is Odo going to be the ultimate peacemaker between the Changeling society and, and, and the Federation? Is he going to somehow bridge that gap? Because um, that would be fascinating and I would, I would love to see that. Um, but at this point, there's still – and a malevolent force. So. I was always trying to think also, you know, um, the first encounter of a solid with a changeling, right? And it's like, like what you said, they use their ability, they can be anything. And, they, and, they, and doing it in front of us, changing in front of us and showing us what all the their potential, right? There would have to be the realization that while this is something that we can see them do, the change and everything else, as they've also indicated, once they change into whatever it is, that's what they that's what they appear as. That's what they are. That's what if you were to scan, like Odo says, if you were to scan me while I'm a rock, you're going to read a rock. If you scan right. me as a bird, I'm a bird. You know, right. um, you don't you don't pick up anything. You don't detect anything. And I was just thinking how much of our existence relies on us being able to look at something. And identify it instantly as a threat or not, right? Oh, right. Now we, we now we get this. People have gotten these things wrong, you know. Tr that's why we have the whole phrase of you know trial and error. But for the most part, when you're walking and you see a rock, you don't think there's a possibility that, that rock's going to suddenly sprout tentacles and pick you up and hurl you thirty feet, right? <laughs> no, but I had to get to that right. <laughs> And 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 again, if there if if thinking about that, if that was suddenly a potential, that the the 
the door frame could suddenly come alive and wrap you up and strangle you, you would look at doors a lot differently. Whether that door could do it or not. I'm just saying, right? Yes. When we true. see a tiger, when we see a tiger walking towards us down the street randomly, you don't stop and go, It's entirely possible that thing's gonna speak to me in my language. That's that's not a thought that you have. So so what I I'm only trying to point out that what the, like he said, um, we don't fear you the way you fear us. And I was trying to figure out the fear, and I feel like the fear is because they represent such a unknown in a highly evolved, intelligent form. They have language. They have a culture. They have a whole society. In right. addition to that, they can literally be anything. You know, so the fact that they can operate in such a manner, I think, um, is where I guess our fear of them would come from. Right. And so then trying to figure out what's like, like he says, you don't fear. I keep saying it. We don't fear you the way you fear us. So what's their fear? How do they fear us? Yeah. Because like you just said, at some point, the founders decided that the best way to eliminate their fear was to try to control everything right they want to, that's what the dominion is that's why they have the gem hadar right? right so then what is it what do we represent to them that would make them so fearful of us they've got to put these layers in place they've got spies and subterfuge and a whole battalion of murderous you know i don't know what do you want to call them lizards with bones on their face that are ready to just spring <laughs> through the wormhole and kill everybody. So yeah. what is it? How do we represent a uh, something to be feared to them? Right. Is it our overwhelming numbers? Is it our vast technology at this point that we can bring to bear on them? Is it because, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, burn their whole planet? Like that was the that was the Romulan and Cardassian plan. Was right. to just destroy the whole planet, you know. Right. So, what would you say? I mean, I, I guess I'm asking you. Think like a changeling. What would be your yeah. fear of the solids? I would say it's probably they were never. I mean, I don't know what kind of homeworld they had or how they started transporting themselves around to different planets, but they they must have never been accepted by any society they ever went to because. Odo presents himself as a humanoid, but he is a unique humanoid. My point here is that either the changelings have to present themselves as mimics of someone else, and so that's freaky and off-putting, mm -hmm. and so that scares people. And if they present themselves as an individual, like Odo is, well, then they're identifiable, and if they're identifiable, they can be persecuted, and if they can be persecuted and be killed, then... So that's probably what happened. They were they made people afraid of them either on accident or on purpose because they could mimic things that made people afraid but when they tried to be individuals or stand out as their own group they were able to be persecuted and hunted down and so they had to revert back to hiding and then their ultimate solution was to go from hiding to control which they've proven to be successful at and for however long that's how they've been doing things mm -hmm. and odo is proof of uh, the, the being successful as an individual. He is not mimicking anyone else. He's not hiding amongst the population it's true. as something else. He is obviously a changeling. His face doesn't quite work. It's not quite right. Um, 
but he's still an individual. He has a personality. He has opinions. He has strong convictions. And his willingness to stand up and be himself and still have his abilities in front of other people and earn trust is something that either was lost to the changelings in the past. They weren't able to either get that or they lost that. And their solution has been to go violent, basically, um, with subterfuge. That's what they're afraid of is they can't they can't maintain their individuality and be safe. So they have to be deceptive and use their abilities to protect themselves. And they've been doing that for so long. That's just how they do things. That's how I think of it. If I were to suppose. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I feel like that makes sense. I mean, I think it's something that we all, you know, um, don't necessarily struggle with, but I guess, you know, sense take for granted our ability to be our own person. Right. And so when you have the ability to not just mimic someone else, but to fully be a doppelganger. Right. Of another person. I think that's like a, that's a fear that humanity has had forever this this fear right. of being replaced and we see that pop up so many times especially in sci-fi i mean we've got pod people and you know various other you know uh representations of aliens who have the ability to um look like us act like us right. be us basically even right. battle Galactica uses this with the cylons that are able to look like people Right. You know, and pass for human. And right. they were just as deadly and threatening as ever. But now it's even more so because we can't spot them right away. When they're big, shiny chrome domes or rounding corners and <laughs> slicing people up, you know, once again, you can recognize that as a threat. Right. But when they walk past you and they're luxuriously seductive in their <laughs> flowing dresses and, you know, platinum yeah. hair and everything else, you don't see that as a threat. Until it's too late. Yeah. So, once again, I think that that's an interesting thing that keeps popping up, not just in Star Trek, but in other forms of sci-fi. This this thing that... It strips away our ability to see something as a threat and also as um, something that infringes upon the autonomy of others. Anything that does that, anything that takes away our ability to be in control of ourselves and right. then... Yeah, I think those are the, I think there's a, those are our two main things that we see a lot of. Heck, even the Expanse does that with uh, the proto molecule and how it takes over and subverts whatever it touches and right. changes it from what it was before into right. something else. And right. it has its own agenda. And you know, we, we see how it affects the people that it infects, and uh, they stop being who they were. Julie is no longer Julie. That kid. Katoa was no longer Katoa. He was yeah. this big blue whatever monster. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that that is... Um, I wonder what that's about. Like, what does that say about the collective unconsciousness of humanity that our biggest fears are that we are going to somehow be subverted by aliens and, and controlled somehow? Even I the Borg s- have aspects of this. I would say that comes down to... I think everyone has trouble controlling themselves. Uh, there's self-control is an issue we all deal with. And so the idea of being totally out of control, not because we gave up control or like we abandoned ourselves to some sort of pursuit, but something else took away our self-will. 
and then in the process um, deceived others. Like that's so that's, that's frightening. That's super so it's one thing. It's one thing to willingly give up your control. It's another entirely when it's taken from us. Yeah. Is that I, it? I, What's more frightening, you speeding down the highway at 100 miles an hour because you choose it and you risk destroying yourself or sitting in your car in the driver's seat and you being unable to control, let's just let's just say your car, like your car just starts going at 100 miles an hour and, you know, crashes or like, or your body got possessed and you, you were unable to control it. You're just a passenger in your own body watching things happen. Um, yeah, yeah, that's horrifying. That's that's definitely horrifying. Yeah. Reminds but, me, of, you know, again, pod people, invasion of the body yeah. snatchers. Um, I remember watching that when I was a kid. Terrified me. Invasion right. of the body snatchers definitely terrified me. Um, <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Again, one of the first video games I ever played was Metroid Fusion, which that's part of the plot is that these creatures are able to mimic other things. And in the in opening, one of the opening scenes is it turns out. The, the kind of the big bad boss you'll face at the end is you, the main character being uh, your body has your, your, your suit of armor has been possessed by a fake version of you and is now roaming around and killing stuff. And you have to confront your possessed armor, yeah. sci-fi armor. But I really, so, really quickly want yeah. to go back to my point about it, the changelings as individuals. Because every time we've seen a changeling as an individual, not mimicking someone else, they actually have the same placid features that Odo has. So either they are mimicking Odo in that moment, or the, the costume is just that's how we know them. But if we accept that as the way changelings kind of look amongst themselves, because they're not mimicking someone else. Odo is not mimicking someone else he is himself in that moment in a humanoid shape so that's really what i as i was thinking it through as we we're talking like i think that's it i think the changelings in order to be individuals were persecuted because of their abilities and they chose to to to, to hide away they can only be individuals amongst themselves in private when they do the whole melding thing together and if they're not doing that then they're mimicking things which they enjoy doing uh, but they've been using that for a long time for um, protective ends, which has also meant violent ends. But I, I really, I like, I really like thinking about that idea that the changelings, what they really want is to be able to express themselves as an individual people and an individual persons, and they don't get that, um, or they haven't so kind of been properly. So it's kind of been under uh, explained that basically to the changelings, the great link is everything. That is that is them, and right. to a certain degree, there is no true individual changeling. They are all a part of the great link. They're all they're all the same thing. In fact, right. if we remember the episode where Odo first finds them, right, and he's talking with them and he's asking how many of us are there, you know, she explains it as you know when you enter the link, the thought of individuality. Um, goes away you you know she says you know the the ocean becomes the drop and the drop is the ocean basically meaning that they're you know they're interchangeable here um, when it comes to their appearance it was understood that the reason when the other changelings come out of the great link to greet cisco and and or, or well uh i guess odo and kira when they first got there um 
that they took on the look similar to Odo's as a right. way of showing familiarity to Odo. And right. since Odo is kind of the, he, he is the face of the shapeshifters for us, they maintain that throughout our all of our interactions with... And that, um, I totally understand it as, a, yeah. as an explanation for what they do. Yeah, yeah. So this would also begin to explain why when we see, well, mild spoiler, when we see others, why they look the same but also different because they they had other experiences and then they encounter Odo and so there's like this kind of mirroring that goes on but they still do look a little uh, a little different. That's why nobody's face is exactly the same. Otherwise, they could just perfectly look like Odo. They would right, all look right. like Odo walking around. Right. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, um, I think that you're right. I think that there was a lot. Uh, you know, probably for them, the thought of uh, you know, like they said, they they love to shapeshift. They love to change, to to take on the shape of something else as how they know it, how they understand it. Um, you know, so so to them, they were just exploring other uh, paths of existence. They weren't right. trying to necessarily take over someone's life. But imagine the first time that they went from mimicking a tree or a blade of grass or whatever to something like the first humanoid they encountered from that humanoid's perspective, that was probably the most terrifying thing they've ever seen in their life. This gelatinous pool suddenly coalesced, jumped up and came fully formed out of goo to look exactly like them. Right. Probably scared the hell out of them. And that's most likely where the persecution immediately began. Don't go over there. There is a massive uh, pool of goo that will look just like you and it will take over your life. Right, you know, because yes. then I'm sure it followed them into into the settlement, you know, and right. and now there's two of them walking around again. There goes that autonomy. There's the doppelganger, that yes. fear of this other, and that's yeah. probably where it all cropped up from. And all they were doing was exploring a new path of existence. And as you know, there's the saying, um, mimicry or or, or or mimicry is the greatest form of flattery. You know, uh, so until it's it not. Was... Oscar well, but... Wilde said it, but he was wrong. Well, my point, though, is is that in the first contact minute, that was supposed to be a good thing. The The mimicry was supposed to be like, hey, look, I can look like you. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? Like, I know you. I understand you. And they freaked out. They're like, why does that thing look like me? That is well, super scary. I, I would also like that. imagine that they were probably mimicking, imitating something that probably only had a very rudimentary understanding of their own existence anyway we're not talking about uber evolved you know vulcans who could have distinguished a difference you know and and recognize what was going on they are probably talking about we're probably talking about like proto hominid types here you know who have a very basic hunter-gatherer existence at best and all of a sudden you're being confronted by something that (laughs) just springs up and looks exactly like you sounds like you moves (laughs) like you probably terrifying Yep. And it just, yep. and, it, and then you know how myths and legends get, you know, bigger and bigger the more they're retold and everything else. Right. And so by the time, you know, an evolved person came along, there was a deeply ingrained, almost instinctual fear of that other doppelganger. The, the thought of meeting yourself, like we even, you know, there's a, there's even a theory now that somewhere in the world there's someone else there's at least one person who looks exactly like you and what would you do yeah. if you ever met that person we'd yeah. freak out we, we yeah. would absolutely freak out if you were not born yeah. a twin 
and right. you suddenly through your travels ran into somebody who looked exactly like you, it, it would probably terrify you. It would right. probably absolutely terrify you until oh, you figured I, out a way must... to establish your differences. I'm sure I've told you, I guess, I don't know if I did or not, but I've probably told you my theory that, yeah, everyone does have some sort of doppelganger. Like, I've seen people, I'm like, you look just like someone else I know, and there's no way the two of you would ever meet. Like, your life paths are just not in any orbit. It's just a coincidence that I happen to see you two. Like, there's a a young woman, uh, one of my roommates, has dated previously, but she came over to visit, and I swear she had a lot of similarities to my aunt. There's no reason this woman and my aunt would ever meet, but it was like, damn, another doppelganger. I'm, I'm mm. swearing. <laughs> but I mean, even for, but even for are... you, even for you, it's it's not even your doppelganger. But the fact that you recognize the similarities, yeah, it was unsettling for you, wasn't it? Well, it's I, I, maybe maybe I'm just too used to the idea at this point that it's like it's actually kind of fun to pick out when it happens, but. Yeah, it could be. I can imagine it being. I just, really I think that it, I think it would be. I think that it would be quite unsettling. And yeah, um, yeah well, that's totally my point, though. Is like, there's no reason for this young woman who's probably somewhere around the age of thirty, and my aunt who's somewhere around sixty, to ever meet. So, like, it feels like it's actually like somehow preordained that these people will exist, but they'll never interact. Mm. It'll just be a deja vu for people who see them. <laughs> Anyway. Well. Ugh. Well, any final thoughts on Paradise Lost and just home front in general while uh, while we have a moment? Um, and I think we've said it all. Yeah. Yeah. I was, unfortunately, a little disappointed with this episode because I feel like it got a little lost in its its story and lost track of the story it had in the previous episode. Um, again, a three-parter would have been great. Um, but... It's fun to see a wharf in charge of the Defiant again. It's yeah, like his defiant yeah. position now is he's Worf's it's almost, in charge of Defiant. Yeah, he's almost been in, in that seat as many times as Cisco has, and he's only been in the seat show for a short <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's very clear that he is quite comfortable on the bridge of the Defiant, which yeah. is it is quite funny that um, yeah. it's worked out that way. Because yeah. I think you're right. As many times as we've seen Cisco in the in the captain's chair, I think we've now seen Worf in it Worf just as many times. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> caught up real quick. And he got into battle mode real quick in this episode too. When they got presented with the with the Lakota powering up phasers, he was like, "Well, well, fire the, well the the quote the Lakota fired first, and yes. then they were like, "Well, what do you do?" And he's like, "We fight." And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yes." Get yeah. it, Worf. I loved yeah. it. And then, of course, the Defiant does a barrel roll and just yeah. unleashes hell. Yeah, it was L. a great shot. Um, it was yeah, a it was moment. a great, yeah. great moment. I love yeah. how they just highlighted, you know, the the uh, maneuverability of the Defiant compared to the yeah. much larger uh, Lakota, you know. Yeah, the Defiant's definitely growing on me for that reason. And it makes mm-hmm. sense that Deep Space Nine wouldn't have a full-fledged, you know, super, you know, a big old spaceship like, a, like an Enterprise. It would have a smaller, compact, more maneuverable ship that's you know stationed right there and they can use it and I, i'm glad they're really making use of it because i did feel in the first couple seasons that that was something that was missing mm-hmm. was the more action-packed uh episodes of like tng so I'm, I'm liking episodes like this where that gets involved my only critique is that i wish that they would show the greater maneuverability of all the ships which i mean this is something that has been adjusted as star trek has continued through the years the ships i feel like they've done a better job of addressing the fact that it's space 
You have three dimensions. Use them. You've yeah. talked about the technology that you use, you know, the, the magnificent inertial dampers, which stop the flinging of officers to and fro, and why you can do all these uh, magnificent maneuvers and everything else. But we never really saw it, and the only drawback, to, the reason that we never saw it was the drawback to technology at the time. So, of course... Um, now that things have you know gotten better with filming and CGI and all that kind of stuff, they've really you know addressed that so much so that people have complained about it with some of the newer shows because they're like that ship wouldn't be that maneuverable. Why not? And and I've always and I've always seen the comparison of like the ships to like naval vessels. I'm like they're not going to experience the same thing there's there's nope. no ocean there's nope. no wind for drag there's yeah. no gravity like that there's yeah. no reason why the enterprise can't do a triple 360 barrel roll itself there's yeah. no reason that it couldn't do it none yeah. There's no um, reason that thing couldn't twist and tumble and spin all at once. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, again, mild spoiler for you, there's a scene in Picard where the Enterprise does some things and people are like, oh, it never should have been able. Yes. Yes, it should, guys, because it's space. <laughs> it's space. Please understand that. It is space. They are not on the planet. They are not in an ocean. There is no <laughs> wind resistance. There's no drag. Yes, it can. Yeah. So... And I personally, I enjoyed it. I was like, you know what? That's kind of the scene for the Enterprise I've always wanted. Just this, she's she's magnificent. Looked great. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, um, I guess that's going to do it for us here for um, Homefront and Paradise Lost. I do want to say that um, this episode uh, will be available on all the streaming platforms in about uh, an hour. So no more waiting until next week and all that stuff and we're going to be lagging behind none of that and that's great because next week on the 15th a brand new season of strange new worlds finally premieres so we will get to watch that and then we get to talk about it because we'll be doing a new episode on the 17th so we'll get to talk about it right away um i'll try my best to contain myself because you you haven't watched strange new worlds yet have you? No, no, I, okay. I'm still sticking with uh, the, the classics, I guess you could say. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I've watched everything, so I don't really have a choice but to just, you know, consume all of it every time. Right. Um, but yeah, so Thursday, the 15th, we'll have the new episode of that. Um, they are still talking about all the other shows that they're going to, they're trying to get greenlit. There's a Starfleet Academy show that's supposed to be in the works. The Section 31 show seems to be um, getting some new life breathed into it. Um, there's even rumors of a, um, uh, a spinoff from Picard uh, entitled Legacy, which will feature kind of what the ending of Picard was and moving into a new a new show. So um, we'll I'll obviously you know we'll keep you apprised what happens but right now the main thing that's on the horizon is strange new worlds new episode the 15th and um of course as always you can find us and follow us anywhere that you have social media you can also listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts i do it on spotify so until next week guys take care of yourselves thanks guys <laughs>